Welcome to the Should Have Bet More podcast presented by Gold Boys. Coming up on the show today, Jonathan Von Tobel will join us. We will talk a little NBA. We'll do it through the prism of the awards. We'll just go award by award, see if there's any value there. We've had we've done a little NBA recently. We had Iron Eagle on Friday. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Had Kelly Bidlin on a couple of weeks ago. That was more big picture playoffs, finals, that kind of thing. Talking about teams. This will be awards. See if we can find any value. Also get into some NFL offseason draft. Free agency, this quarterback carousel, so we'll pick his bets on a few things. He's got a betting story, too, about a bet he won that was not so easy to collect on uh, at, at a legal book. So excited to talk to JVT. That is coming up in a minute, just quickly. And as we talk here, we are let, now less than three weeks from Selection Sunday. Just a couple of quick thoughts from this weekend. Nothing earth-shattering happened, but I do want to start with, well, I'll start with the Lakers. Uh, I, I thought, I, I've been talking about this all weekend, if you heard me on some of the different shows Lakers were minus 140 to miss the playoffs going into Sunday. Uh, to me, and they lose to the Suns, they lose by 10. They're, they're now three games over 500. To me, the Lakers, I don't want to say dead because it's still a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but they are going to be in the play-in, and I think the play-in sort of gets lumped together. Hey, 7, 8, 9, 10, it doesn't matter. There's a major difference between 7, 8, 9, and 10. Lakers are headed for a 10 seed, which means you have to win on the road one game just to survive, and then you have to win on the road another game to get into the main draw. So the Lakers, uh, to me, to miss the playoffs are a good bet. Like I said, only three games over 500. And if you look at the schedule here coming up, it is not easy. It is at the Clippers, which is the same building, but Washington, which is a gimme. You figure they win that. But after that, Denver, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, Milwaukee, Minnesota, at Sacramento, Golden State. Now, I know a lot of these games are at home. But it is going to be very difficult for them to really do anything except finish. I mean, they might finish below 500, but they are going to be right around a 500 team. Either way, they're headed for the 10 seed, and that puts yourself that puts yourself in a position where, you know, even if LeBron and Davis are healthy, and again, you can never count those two guys out. But winning at like Golden State and then maybe at Phoenix just to get in the main draw, to me, the Lakers to miss the playoffs are a good bet. And, uh, it, it's starting to look like, I mean, you could pr- say pretty safely. I, I can say it with confidence. LeBron is done winning titles. This Lakers team is not a title team. They can't shoot. They really, to me, it traces back to 2021, that summer. They won a title in the bubble in 2020. Then they had that short off season. They played the Suns in the first round. Davis got hurt. They had a good team until they started to get hurt and that short year caught up with them. But to me, it traces back to the Westbrook trade. They had to give up so many assets to get him. It was Caldwell Pope. It was Kuzma. It was a couple draft picks. He was a disaster. They waited a couple of years. And then they had to get rid of a pick just to get rid of him. So you lost so many assets in that deal with the Lakers, uh, if you're the Lakers. And to me, that just that's drained the rest of the team. Reeves has been a nice pick, a nice find. But other than that, they just they can't shoot. And if you look at all the assets that went out the window to get rid of Westbrook, I mean, that's enough. That there's enough there in terms of players, in terms of picks, that you could have basically gotten anybody available within reason. I mean, you're not going to get Luka Doncic. You're not going to get Steph Curry. But... Anybody that was available, I mean, you might have even been able to flirt with the idea of getting Durant with all those picks and all those players. Uh, and that's just that 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 was a wasted deal. That was the deal where everything went south. And you know, you look at this Laker LeBron tenure in the big picture and say, hey, five years, won a title, you went to another conference finals. You can't call it a disaster, but feels like they should have been a little better. When you have LeBron and Davis, Davis in his prime, LeBron's still really good. Feels like he should have won a little more than they did. Feels like they should have had more years where they're at least a threat than they've had because. Other than last year, which was kind of a fluky run, they got in through the play-in. They found a Grizzlies team that was beat up. They got a Warriors team that was a good matchup for them, and they ended up in the conference finals where they were competitive, but they got swept. 
they didn't win any series in other in any other rounds. They've missed the playoffs. They've lost in the first round. So it's really a mixed bag with LeBron and Davis. That that's really to not win a little more is definitely disappointing for the Lakers. And to me, again, nobody thought they're winning a title. Nobody thinks they're going to the finals. This idea that hey, they can make a run to the conference finals this year because they did it last year, you can forget that. This team is not going anywhere. So that was a takeaway for me. They are uh, going to be right around a 500 team. That's an, and the scary thing for them. LeBron and Davis have been healthy. Usually they're right around the playing mix because one of those guys has missed half the season. LeBron's, you know, since he got to the Lakers, he's ha had a habit of missing a chunk of games. Davis is always in out of the lineup. Scary thing for them. Those guys have played. Those guys have been healthy. It's just the, the, the rest of the team's not any good. They can't shoot. They don't make any threes. They don't take any threes. It's just uh, that, that that's the situation for the Lakers. That was a takeaway for me on Sunday. That's the NBA. Again, we'll do more with JVT in a minute. Quickly, college, again, nothing earth-shattering, but just a couple quick things here. Houston, a team I'm very skeptical of, just in terms of, hey, this is the number one seed, the, the team to beat. Ken Palm has a number one. I was just, I can't get out of my mind the game two years ago against Villanova. Last year against Miami, they got thrashed in the Sweet 16. And that Villanova game two years ago in the Elite Eight, 50-44, to 44, that was just an eyesore to watch. I think they were one for 23 from three. So I've been a little skeptical of them, but I got to give them credit. That was a gutsy, impressive win at Baylor. Baylor's a good team, a tough place to win. And the way they won, they got a huge lead on Saturday. They were up, I think, 18, almost 20 points uh, at one point. Big lead, had a lead the whole game. Baylor rallies back, ties it. Houston hits a three at the buzzer. Looks like they're going to win. They wave it off, and then they go to overtime. Usually the road team, that team that's been winning the whole game, they don't have any of the momentum. Usually that team loses that game. So to come back to... To hold up and to win that game, they almost won it two, three times. If you count the buzzer beater, if you count overtime, if you count dominating from basically the start of the first half until the end, I mean, they basically won that game two or three times. That was an impressive win for Houston. And uh, if you heard Ian Eagle on Friday, he said, hey, I've seen a few of these teams in person. Houston, Purdue, I forget the other teams he mentioned. He hasn't seen UConn, but he's, he was his big takeaway was he was very impressed with Houston, their aggressiveness, their physicality. So keep an eye on Houston. Maybe, maybe we are... Or at least some people are overlooking Houston due to uh, recent performance in the tournaments. I know, look, they're seven to one to win the tournament. It's not like there's some long shot or some sleeper, but that was an impressive win. UConn bounces back, beats Nova by a million points. You could have expected that. The team that beat UConn on Tuesday, and you can never really, this is just betting 101 almost. You can never go wrong, almost never go wrong betting a team off of their biggest win where Creighton beats the number one team in the country at home. Then they go on the road and everybody's in love with Creighton. I'm sure Creighton's in love with Creighton. We're, they're on campus all week hearing how great they are from everybody. Students, professors, everyone. Oh my God, you guys beat UConn. You killed UConn. They turn around and they get beat pretty soundly by St. John's. So again, that's a, just a one of those betting traps you learn when you're first betting. Oh man, I'm, Creighton beat UConn. Of course they're going to beat St. John's. Not so easy. St. John's takes care of business. And St. John's, they still have some work to do. And that ramp by Patino was obviously unusual it was uh epic it, it was a lot of things it was not what we're used to here in college sports and just the, the current state of sports where these coaches don't talk about players uh like the way patino did but keep an eye on st john's because the tournament would love nothing more the committee would love nothing more than to put st john's in you get the new york market you get patino's a name a face you can put them in that first four playing or whatever and you get ratings for that game they're a storied program they have a storied coach so they're only 16 and 12. They're at Butler on Wednesday. If they can win that and get to 17 and 12, they still have DePaul and Georgetown. That puts you at 19. That puts you in a position where one win, maybe two wins in the Big East tournament puts you at 20, 21 wins. A 20 win, 21, one, uh, 21 win Big East team with Patino in the New York market 
has got a good shot to get in. I know if you look at the bracketology, all that stuff, all the projections, they're not likely to get in at the moment. But if they keep winning, if they win, if they win at Butler on Wednesday, I don't want to say it's a playing game, but boy, that would have given them a good chance to get to 20 if you can win one game in the Big East tournament. If they're at 20 with, with their appeal, with their region, their market, all, everything they bring to the table, I think St. John's has a good chance to get in the tournament. I saw they were three to one going into Sunday to get in the tournament. I'm in Connecticut, so I don't have these markets. But if you see a number on them, two to one, anything north of two to one, uh, again, I think the committee would would be dying to get Patino in this team in the tournament. So keep an eye on them. Again, we're counting down the days here till really the conference tournaments. It's just it seems like it's taken a little longer this year to get here. Uh, and I mentioned the gap between the Super Bowl and the tournament is a little shorter, which it is. But uh, if you've noticed, these conference tournaments are a little later. Usually, some of these conference tournaments have started by now. Usually, the last week in February, the last few days in February. These game, these tournament games, these smaller ones, the Atlantic Sun, some of these smaller tournaments have already started. Then like March 1st and 2nd, you're into some of these title games. Then the bigger conferences take the stage. And then like March 10th, 11th, you have the selection. March 17th is the selection, so that's pushed back. Most of these conferences, I think the earliest conference tournament start date I saw was March 7th. I just looked at like the Horizons, or it was the Atlantic Sun, one of the earlier ones, where usually, again, that's late February, early March. March 7th, it's a little later than usual, so... College basketball regular season does feel like it's dragging a little bit, but uh, it's some interesting takeaways from this weekend. Kentucky just killed Alabama. Kentucky's a strange team. That's a team. That first Thursday of the tournament, they could be out, out of the tournament. They could be eliminated by the time you're sitting down for dinner, or they could be playing for the national championship that Monday night come, uh, come early April. There's so much room in between. It's going to be a hard team to figure out when you're filling out your brackets. Kentucky, and I would say the same for Arizona. Arizona's wildly talented. On their best night, it, it looks like there's not that many teams that can – beat them, can hang with them. They love the run. They're big. They can rebound. They just look like the perfect team when they're knocking down shots when they're on their game. But they just throw in so many of these clink, uh, so many of these stinkers too, just like Kentucky where they lose to LSU and they lose to Gonzaga at home, which that looks like a better win now for Gonzaga than it did two weeks ago. Gonzaga won in Kentucky a couple of Saturdays ago, and we made that more about Kentucky than Gonzaga. Boy, this this Kentucky team's going in the wrong direction, which they were, but uh, maybe, maybe Gonzaga's a little better than we thought. Maybe Kentucky's a little better than we thought, so couple things to keep an eye on as we head to the tournament. But coming up next, let's get into some NBA awards, some NFL offseason with JVT. That is next. This is the Should Have Bet More podcast. All right, we are back. Should Have Bet More. He is the co-host of VEASAN Primetime, among his other endeavors. It is Jonathan Von Tobel. JVT, what's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Uh, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're back in the grind. The home stretch is going to go by quick. Uh, but very excited. You know, I, I get excited that the All-Star break happens because, you know, I'm tired of going through it every single day. Uh, and then once we get to play starting again, I, I get hungry for it once more. So I'm, I'm happy that these games are back. I've been watching a lot of basketball the last couple of days. Let's go through some awards because it's interesting. The NFL, Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people feel like, hey, it's late in the year. I can't get any value. I should have bet before the year. I should have bet earlier. In the year. If you just bet, look back to the NFL, like Stefanski was 80-1 to one to win coach of the year with uh, a month or so left, maybe a little less. He won it. Flacco, we know what happened at ridiculous odds. So I don't know if the NBA is similar in terms of finding these diamonds in the rough, so to speak, late in the season. But it's just, it, just as a thought exercise, just go award by award and you tell me. You can go rapid fire. You can go as long as you want. Uh, if you think there's value here, we'll start with MVP. Jokic is minus one forty. Shea is plus two twenty. Lucas six to one. Giannis twelve to one. Uh, Kawhi is all the way down to seventy to one. Is I mean, Jokic is the rightful favorite there, but is there a bet to be made in MVP? Yeah, I, yeah, I do think so. And I think Jokic is a rightful favorite. The question is just with the degree to which he is favored. 
Shea Gilders Alexander, I think, theoretically knocked off Kawhi Leonard in that win earlier this week, right? You know, voters are going to be hyper-focused on these head-to-head matchups down the stretch. Uh, the fact that they won that game the way that they did, a lot of people are going to look at that as Shea Gilders Alexander effectively eliminating Kawhi Leonard from the competition. So I think that's why he's dropped where he's at. And I think if you're looking at it, it's either Shea or Luka, depending on what you want. And I think Shea's going to be the bet for me if I'm telling anybody to bet it right now. Uh, his his individual numbers are incredible, right? We're talking about these you know regular 30-point games on insanely efficient shooting. Will, he's also leading the league in steals uh, still at last look. He's a very good two-way player as well. And especially if they win that one seed in the Western Conference or even just finish in the top two, his resume from top to bottom, narratively, statistically, it's going to be really, really impressive. And if you, the Nuggets continue to kind of just kind of plot along here, right, and just content with getting like a top three seed, top four seed, I think that'll make the difference in a lot of voters' minds where the Oklahoma City Thunder end up. So I think if you're making a bet, Shea Gilders-Alexander is definitely worth it. And the case for Luka is pretty similar. The problem is just he's not going to have that seeding battle, right? He's going to have the counting stats, but the highest they're going to finish is fourth. And how can you realistically give it to Luka Doncic if they're only going to finish fourth if Jokic, uh, or, excuse me, fifth? And um, and if Jokic and Shea Gilders-Alexander finish way above them, I just don't think that's credible to give it to him. So for me, as a process of elimination, if you're not betting, if you're betting anything, it's Shea Gilders-Alexander if you don't have anything at this point. Do you have any bets on Shea? No, I don't. You know, and I might add it. I mean, at, two, at over two to one, I think there's like some pretty good value in that number. I think him and Jokic are, should be co-favorites right now, not at minus one forty. I think, and I think a lot of the the price is what happened in the most recent straw poll, right? Which is Tim Bontemps thing over at ESPN, where Jokic had like what was it like sixty three or sixty seven of the first place votes. But that was very quickly after Joel Embiid got hurt. And I think what a lot of people did was like, all right, well, let's just give it to our second place guy. And then we got another straw poll coming. And then when we vote for that, right, then we'll just we'll actually look at this thing. So I think that the price is a little too high on Jokic. So I th- I'm going to add Shea, I think, here in the next couple of days. Because at plus 220, I think it's a very good bet, considering that I think right now it's a two-horse race. Rookie of the year, Victor Webinyama up to minus 700. Chet is plus 500. Is this thing over? Is this Chet? Or is there still some – is this uh, Victor? Or is this – uh, still a situation where Holmgren can rally and win it. No, I mean, I think I think Holmgren can win it. I actually added him at 5-1 to one myself because um, here's the thing with Shed Holmgren. If you look at the the resumes, you know, the counting stats, points, rebounds, blocks, um, those are all going to go for Victor Wembanyama. The advanced metrics paint a better picture, though, for Chet Holmgren. And and I do think that while Wembanyama is going to have more of the narrative behind him because we're just going to see more Wembanyama highlights, right? It's The NBA wants you to see that. He's a young star in the uh, on the rise. Holmgren is a starter and a key piece for a team that could win the top a top two seed in the Western Conference. And they're not doing that without him. The, his ability to play center is the reason why the Oklahoma City Thunder work, because he, not only can he defend the rim, he can shoot threes, he shoots him at an efficient clip, he can score in isolation, he can hit jump shots. So I'm really fascinated to see how the voters kind of separate those two, which is you know good stats on a bad team, uh, good advanced metrics on a great team. And I think that creates a dynamic where these two are are much closer than I think the, the odds would represent. And I'll tie in something that you brought up here, you know, with the NFL awards. But I want your audience to realize, too, and this is always my favorite example, one, because I hit it, but two, it's a good example of it. Um, the year that Julius Randle won most improved player will, I got him at 22 to one after Christmas. Uh, Jeremy Grant was minus 550 at one point to win that award that year. And, and he ended up with Julius Randle winning that thing. So these odds markets aren't as predictive as we think they are, especially when it comes to awards. A lot of it's liability. So I wouldn't be scared off seeing minus 700. And I wasn't because I bet you had home grade at five to one.
Yep, it's well put. They're not as predictive when it comes to the awards. We just we don't know what these voters are thinking. We can guess. We can maybe sometimes have a good idea, but we we don't really know for sure. Uh, most improved player, Maxi's a big uh, decent favorite here, minus two forty. Kobe White plus four fifty. Kaminga twelve to one. Shingun twelve to one. Jalen Williams fifteen to one. Maxi gonna win or somebody else worth a bet? I actually I don't think Maxi should be the favorite to be quite honest with you. Like I, I think when you look at there's there's a lot of things right. First off. You know, the play for him and the Philadelphia 76ers really dipping uh, now that Joel Embiid is out. His efficiency numbers are going down. So I think that's going to cause right a little bit of a drop there in terms of his his potential lead on the field. But I think when you talk about true improvement, I, I don't think there's two guys who have actually I say three. I don't think there's three guys who improve better than Kobe White, Jonathan Kamiga and Alpern Shingun. I think all three of these guys are on much more even footing uh, with Tyrese Maxey than the market would indicate. I think Maxey had a lot of liability built up. He had a good start to the year. But this is also one of those awards where this is subjective. Like, the most improved can be anything for anybody when you look at it. You go back to John Morant, the year that he won it, the subjective improvement was that he made a leap right to an all-star. When you look at some of these other guys, right, statistically, Kobe White's been incredible. Jonathan Kaminga, his turn here at around Christmas has been absolutely unreal. I guess the real factor is, I don't know if you saw this, he cut his hair. Uh, And ever since his haircut, he's averaging like 20 points a game. Um, And then Shingun is like the focal point in a baby Jokic for Houston. So I actually, I think there is value here. And I honestly think you can make the case for White, Kaminga, or Alperin Shingun at this point right now. But if I was to make a bet, and I think the highest probability... It would be Kobe White, just given the fact that this guy's turned into a 20-point-per-game scorer for the Chicago Bulls. It's been really impressive, but I think that's where I'm drawing the line. I know a lot of people are starting to make the case for Jalen Williams. The problem is Jalen Williams is a second-year player. And remember, Tyrese Maxey, in his second year, had an incredible leap in terms of what he did. But the reason why he didn't win it was, and by the way, he wasn't even a finalist. And the reason why was because he was a second-year player, and second-year players are assumed to improve, and you can't use that as criteria for winning the award. So I I know second-year guys have won it way back in the past, but these voters have created this stupid subjective rule that second-year guys can't win it. I I would be cautious with going with Jalen Williams, which I have that line of demarcation there. Yeah, most improved is a little, like, comeback player in the NFL where – Right. Boy, we don't know. And you could ask five different people and five different interpretations of, of what exactly the award is and what we're betting on, which I actually don't mind. I know people are like, oh, I can't bet it. We don't know what we're betting. I like that. It creates some variance that creates a situation where you get like a flack of 150 to one just because, hey, who, who knows what these guys are thinking, what we're betting on. Uh, coach of the year. Dagnall is right around even money. Chris Finch plus 230. Then you got Bickerstaff and Lewitt 10 to one. Missoula 20 to one. Is there a bet to be made coach of the year market? Yeah, you know, so as great, this is interesting. So I do think it's a two-horse race. I think the market's got this right. I think it's Dagnall or Finch. And whoever wins the one seed could eventually just win this thing, right, in terms of coach of the year. But I will say that I think what might work here is is Chris Finch, remember last year, right, the the play-in game for Minnesota, the fact that they were punching each other on the sidelines. Jane McDaniels walks off, breaks his hand. Like, this team emotionally was falling apart. They put it together last year. It looked like an abject failure. And to turn this thing around and make them potentially a one seed in the Western Conference and to be the first defensive team uh, by a mar- like by a wide margin, well, they only have they only have a three-point lead on the second-place team in terms of defensive efficiency. I think Finch has a really strong case here to win coach of the year, and especially if they're going to win the one seed. And despite the fact that they lost in their first game, they still have 16 home games left to 10 road games for the rest of the season. So they should have a manageable schedule. They got one of the easier schedules left. Now the Milwaukee's off of the docket. 
uh, they're going to win a lot of games here in this uh, home stretch in these last 26 games. They could win the one seed. I think they're likely to win the one seed. And if that happens, I think Finch wins it. So if I'm putting money here, I think it'd be Chris Finch at plus 230. It's no shot against Dagnall. But when you look at Oklahoma City, where you have Shea Gilders Alexander potentially winning MVP, Chet Holmgren potentially winning uh, rookie of the year. I think voters will look at this as a way to give Minnesota something outside of Rudy Gobert's defensive player of the year and Finch might grab this thing. So plus 230, I think there's some strong odds there because I think this is more of a pick than Dagnall leading at this degree. Interesting. I would uh, I, I would tend to agree with that. Sixth man of the year, Monk minus 115, Hardaway plus 280, Powell plus 450. Uh, that's Norman Powell. This is not a bet I've thought too much of. and I, I don't have a ton of interest here. Is this anything you have bets on? Anything you has you think has value one way or another? So I've got I've got Norman Powell forty five to one to win six man of the year. Um, I think I had so, him last year. Didn't we have? Did you have him last yeah, year? Did we yeah, yeah, like last? 30, 35 to one last year too. Um, here's the thing, and this is the interesting dynamic, and it's actually somewhat similar to uh, rookie of the year in that when you look at Norm Powell, and I'll make the case for him really quickly. You know, he's only averaging about fourteen points a game. He's shooting extremely well from three point range. But, well, he's part of a closing lineup for a team that's a top three seed in the Western Conference. Like, he's an integral piece to what the Los Angeles Clippers do. He's constantly coming in, closing games, helping them out. In terms of clutch scoring or fourth quarter scoring, he's third uh, on the team for the Los Angeles Clippers. Like, he has a really big role, and it's and it doesn't translate into 17 points or 18 points per game like Malik Monk and Tim Hardaway. So what I'm going to be fascinated by is what the voters see with that. Will they just go with the generic, oh, like, you know, over 16 points a game off of the bench. It's got to be one of these guys. Or they look at Norm Powell and realize he is one of the key pieces to the Los Angeles Clippers being as good as they are. If you look at a list of the top 10 most efficient lineups in the NBA, Norm Powell's Clippers lineups are in there on the side of the top five. He's been one of the big reasons why they've been able to do it. So for my money, especially considering where I'm at right now, I think the bet to make is with Norm Powell. You know, for Malik Monk at minus 115, yeah, he's been great off the bench. He's scoring well. That team stinks. They're not good on offense. You know, they're floating around the play-in, and I think they're going to be a play-in team. And Tim Hardaway Jr., again, counting stats are there just in terms of shooting, but he's not as integral, especially on defense, as a guy like Norman Powell is. So I'm really curious to see if the voters actually look at that with some nuance and realize that Norm Powell is really key to what they're doing outside of just averaging about 14 points per game. How about defensive player of the year? Gobert, minus 700. He's the biggest favorite of any of these awards. Foregone conclusion, he wins. Is there anyone else to bet? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's the okay. best defensive player on the on the best defensive team. They're they're almost lapping the field in defensive efficiency. Uh, it's been incredible. I, I don't think there's really anything you can do. And I'll say really quickly, so I did this exercise a couple of weeks ago. If you, if you take all of the defensive metrics and put them on a spreadsheet uh, and, and look at who leads and what, uh, Victor Wembanyama has a lot of defensive stats that work in his favor, but so does Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo actually looks really good from a statistical defensive standpoint. Uh, the question is, is he going to garner enough support to do it? I don't think it's going to be the case. Gobert's turnaround has been incredible. He's been awesome this year, and they're the best defensive team. I find it hard to you know, have anybody donate to their their local book uh, to go with like Jared Allen or Victor Wembanyama, Derek White, or Bam Adebayo. Clutch player Curry's out to minus 280. Again, this is a award where I'm not so sure I, I know yeah. what this is. I don't know that anyone knows what this is. Um, could you make a case for anyone? I, I made a case for Brunson a few weeks ago, and he, I don't know, he's like 50 to one. He's actually back down to 50 to one, but it is Curry minus 280, Lillard eight to one, Shea is 10 to one, DeRozan 20 to one. Would you advocate a bet for anyone here? 
I, I, it's hard too. I mean, when you look at like Curry and what's been going on and, and like why he's here uh, in terms of like scoring in the clutch, he's he's leading the league essentially. Uh, Anthony Simons actually technically leads lead in clutch scoring at five point two points per game. He's only played twenty four games or excuse me twelve games in clutch. If you sort for actual games, Steph Curry's played thirty three games in clutch time. And for your audience, it's you know five within five points either way, five minutes or fewer to go. Um, Curry's averaging five points per game, shooting 50% from the floor in those contests. It's really hard to kind of turn that away. He's also got the highlights, right? The Phoenix Suns two weeks ago uh, when he buried that in their grill. He's got a couple of other game winners under his resume uh, or on his resume. So I think that it's probably going to be Steph Curry as a kind of faux MVP award, especially if he kind of drags this team into the play-in and uh, beyond, and they'll have to submit their votes from prior. But if they get hot, which, by the way, they are. They're 10-5 straight up, 11-4 against the spread in the last 15. I think this is a way to give Curry something uh, for his work this year, and he's got the stats to prove it. So I find it hard to make the case really for anybody else. The guy who had a sneaky case for it was actually Joel Embiid. Uh, he's played uh, about, uh, you know, he's he's shooting about, uh, what are we talking about, 40%, but averaging right behind Curry about 4.2 points per game in clutch, but doesn't have that many games. So I think it's going to be Curry here, and I think the market's getting this thing right. Eastern Conference, would you take the Celtics or would you take the field? I'll take the field just because basketball is basketball, you know, and, and I and I do like like what Cleveland's got going on uh, when they're playing and they're on all cylinders when Donovan Mitchell's to get when, when Donovan Mitchell's out there, the way that they're staggering their lineups will they have shooting now they've got Max Struess, they've got George Niang, uh, they got so much lineup versatility, their bench is actually a little bit deeper with Karis Levert and other guys. I think that there's a little bit something here to that. And by the way, you know, they could get the two seed and make it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and avoid Boston until then. So I, I'll take the field in the East. And and who knows if Milwaukee gets it together. That was a pretty good showing on Friday night against Minnesota. And if that team shows up for the rest of the year, it's going to be a pain in the ass. I'm trying to think anything else. NBA, do you worry about Denver? Do you think, hey, this is just post-title malaise and they'll be fine? Or are they just not as good as last year? No, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, you know, look, their bench isn't really that great. The, the on-court, off-court numbers for Jokic aren't awesome. Now, having said that, one of the sneaky things that I think people are overreacting to is, you know, when he gets off the floor, who's going to play center? Uh, the Nuggets play a lot of Aaron Gordon at center at times, and those lineups are elite. So, like, I think they're going to be fine in that regard. And we know that rotations shorten up. I think the thing that I would just be worried about is, I think the Western Conference is just better than it was last year. I agree. Right? Like, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, if they're going to be healthy or awesome. You know how I feel about the Los Angeles Clippers. They're deep and they're good. Um, you know, we can go further down the list. You know, the Suns are going to be a pain in the butt the rest of the way. Obviously, the two young teams in Minnesota and Oklahoma City – I think that's just the worry. You know, I think part of this is that malaise of like, all right, let's just get to the postseason. Remember, they did this too last year down the stretch where they were just kind of like limping yep. along and all of a sudden turned it on and crushed everybody. So I think you're, I guess you're worried a little bit, but I think you're more worried in the context of the Western Conference being much better than it was last year. Yeah. And again, I, I would worry about them just in terms of the path they set for themselves because, they, like you said, they had a really easy path last year. I mean, Minnesota, okay, tough, tough ish first round. They won in five. Phoenix, that's not an easy team to face in round two. But after that, you got a Lakers team. And I, I know they had LeBron and Davis. That was a playing team. And then you had Miami in the finals, which was another playing team. Plus, mm -hmm. you you had home court in every series. So you could finish the series at home. You could you could start the series at home and finish the series at home. Now you might put you put yourself in a position where you're like the four. And who knows? Maybe you see Phoenix or Dallas in round one. And boy, that's, a, that's not an easy first round series. And then you start to go later in the rounds. Not only you play tougher teams, but you might not have home court and uh, if you're these other teams, that's just the, the best way to unseat Denver is just, first of all, get game seven, first of all, out of their building and put it in your building. And that changes things. It's a double whammy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and you mentioned, um, you know, Minnesota. It's funny because I screamed at Doug Kazarian the other day of Eason primetime because he was trying to 
push Laker propaganda on us, right? The fact that, uh, hey, it was really, you know, the most competitive series Denver played, even though they swept them. It wasn't uh, because they lost a game to Minnesota. They lost a game to Phoenix. Uh, and Minnesota actually did cover every game but one against Denver in that series. So, like, they were very, very feisty. And so now, like, to your point, to flip that and maybe have to go to Minnesota in round two after having to go and defend like Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving for, you know, however long that series would be. That's a brutal, brutal stretch. So I'm really interested to see if they turn it on here in the second half, because like they're going to need to improve their seating because that second round could be an absolute beast if they have to face either Minnesota or Oklahoma city on the road. Last couple ones before we get you out of here, uh, NFL draft. I think the conventional wisdom is bears trade fields, draft Caleb Williams and the draft starts at two. Do you, you disagree with any of that? No, not at all. It's We've seen this a thousand times. You, you know what Justin Fields is at this point right now. You have a chance to start over with a generational quarterback. It makes all the sense in the world. We've seen teams do it before. I think we're, a lot of people are overthinking this. And we've had a, quite a few guys. I think it was Brad Biggs who covers the Bears. We asked him, like, hey, what, who, are the Bears selecting a quarterback of one? He said, yes. Like, didn't even answer. <laughs> Just yes. Like, it's, it's not a, it's a foregone conclusion, I think, at this point right now. And then at two, toss up between May and Williams, any, any, or between May and Daniels, any sort of, uh, Strong conviction either way for you? Not really. I mean, I think we kind of do this a lot, though, Will, where it's just like, hey, watch out. This guy's sliding. You know, like the, the guy who has solidly been two for like the last calendar year is all of a sudden sliding, right, because we're hyper-analyzing these guys. Once we get post-draft and once we get to like the draft itself, I think May is probably going to find his way back up to number two, and I think he's probably going to be the second quarterback taken. I'm not really sold on the rest of this quarterback class after Williams, period. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it flips, but I think I think May's going to be two, and I think we're going to be surprised uh, how far down guys like Jaden Daniels, JJ McCarthy, and these others go. And by the way, I think at best there's four quarterbacks here in this first round, so that that's kind of where I'm in. I'm looking at it from this perspective. Where do you think the Cousins, uh, Fields, Wilt, Russell Wilson's? What, what any any uh, thoughts on the quarterback carousel? Uh, yeah. Who goes where? Well, I'll tell you this. So we saw in the offseason, and this will make sense in a second. We saw in the offseason that Max Crosby threatened the Raiders and said, if you don't get Antonio Pierce, I'm gonna I'm gonna try, I'm gonna, you know, ask for a trade. And then Antonio Pierce became the head coach. About a week ago, Devontae Adams said he would love publicly to play with Kirk Cousins. I think we know how that's gonna go. So I think the Raiders are gonna do everything they can to go and get Kirk Cousins. Uh, and I've heard that too. So it sounds like that's gonna be the case. Uh, and as far as the other guys are concerned, it, it does seem that it's going to be Russell Wilson to the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's a lot of rumblings about that. And for Justin Fields, I think Atlanta makes a ton of sense. And I think this is kind of what we've looked at with all of these teams, right? You know, for Atlanta, you want to find a guy who's maybe going to push this team past to, to at least to a point where it's going to make you dangerous. And that speed with those skill position guys, I mean, that, that would be an incredible offense in a really bad division. They say, I think it, it kind of seems chalky at this point right now, given what those three doubtings are. But I think that's what we're looking at right now. I think it makes a lot of sense. Did you finally get paid on your Chiefs bet? Oh, dude. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, I actually have. Yeah, look. yeah, I'm showing you. It's a podcast audience. I finally got my play plus card with my money on it. So now I can go transfer it to my account. How about that? It is February 25th. Got it yesterday. You can. T I don't know if you want to tell the story again. I, I don't know if, um, if the audience has heard it, but you want to give a quick one minute like recap of sure. the story? Yeah, so my, uh, my future for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl uh, didn't get paid out for about two days. I had to hound. Uh, the book for it. And uh, once that finally got paid out, I went to said book to get my money. First off, I went the first time around and they said they were closed, even though the business hours said they were open. And then when I went back, you have to go on your app, hit withdraw, wait for an email code, bring the code up to the desk. I do that. And then they arbitrarily cut my winnings in half 
and send half off to my Play Plus account, which I had no idea was an actual account with a stupid debit card of some sort. And then they give the other half to me in cash, but I don't have a debit card. So I have to request one and wait for up to two weeks for that thing to get to me. I finally got it yesterday. Now I can now I can go online, Will, put in my card number, and then withdraw from my card to my bank account. It's February 25th. The Super Bowl is on February 11th. Is this a regular problem in Vegas? Is this book specific? Is this well, like it's it's book specific? Everywhere yeah. else I go, I mean, dude, like everywhere else I go, it's either give your player's card, sign a piece of paper, or not even just show them the ID, and then you give your number in five seconds or your your money in five seconds. I have no idea what this was. It was it's insane. So you made the bet over the counter or in in an app, in an app, in an app, and they wouldn't just release the money. They gave you a hard time in the runaround in yep. terms of um, what, what was their excuse. There was, I, you know, I think part of the excuse in terms of the delay and payout was they had they out here they had just switched the app over to an app that is like Rest of Country, right? So that is something that out here in Nevada, for those who don't know, for a while there was a lot of just Nevada specific apps because Nevada is archaic and old and they can't get with the times. So now all of a sudden it's a a similar app to the Rest of Country. But what happened was the the futures bet that I had made was on the old app. So they considered that on the app, it's called an archived ticket. So it's like a whole different subsection. They had got to go and find it. And I, and I think that's what, what they were saying is, oh, it's an archive ticket. So it's got to take, it takes a little bit longer to like essentially pay it out. And then the, the cutting it in half makes no sense. Cause they were like, oh, well, where you put your deposit in is where we send it out. I was like, but that's not the deposit I put down like that. You, you just cut the winnings in half and sent it to that thing. It, it made no sense. And by the way, I just want to say, the customer service sucked as well. Like these people were acting like I was being a pain in the ass. Couldn't even have the time of day. Acted like I was bothering them. It, that was part of the worst. Like outside of having to jump through hoops, the, they, these corporate people who I don't even deal with set, the people that I was dealing with on the ground absolutely sucked. That's amazing. It's amazing. I think it's a major problem uh, throughout, not just like the sports betting industry. I don't know. Is that a problem at other books? Or this is, again, this is just that this book and this book this only. Is, so far, it's been the only book that I've had yeah. this problem with. It's it's and by the way, I learned it's funny. I watch commercials sometimes. And I'm like, why are these people advertising quick payouts? Like, what what does that even mean? Right. Now I know. <laughs> now I know why you advertise that. What um was it a big? What, was it like a big hit? No, it was no. It was only four figures. It was nothing. It wasn't even. Yeah. Trust me, it wasn't touching. It wasn't touching five. Yeah. You know, like it was. That's what was incredible about it. Like if and even if it was, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars. Right. I guess I could understand it a little bit more. Uh, you took the bet. But, you pay the bet. I mean, it's pretty. Simple. Right. Exactly. It, it shouldn't matter how much it is like it, it, outside of maybe having to fill out like some taxable form right. or whatever. Like I should be able to get my money when I want my money. Wow. So it was what the Super Bowl was what date? February 12th. Oh. And it's so what? Two, two weeks to get a payout. Yep. February 11th. Yeah. And I finally got my hands on the card. That'll give me the other half of my payout. Yep. So you don't even have the money you need to go through. You yep. still, I still don't technically have it. Incredible. Right. Yep. That's really bad. <laughs> Really bad. It, it, JVT, you're the best, man. Where can, uh, where can everyone find you? Uh, at me, JVT, up on uh, Twitter and all social media. Uh, VEASAN.com. I write NBA articles, the best bets every single day for the rest of the season. And um, now the full-time co-host on VEASAN Primetime, Monday through Friday, uh, 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. What is that? Uh, 6 to 9 for you East Coasters. Some strong um, math by you. Just add yeah, three to the uh, add three three hours. I, I mean, I can't. It's it's too early and it's too hard. Too much for me. So, yeah, 6 to 9 uh, Eastern time on VEASAN. You can check it out with me and Tim Murray. All right. Thanks, JVT. Got about.
All right, that'll do it. Thank you to JVT. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. If you get a chance, I think we're going to have a giveaway at some point for anyone that leaves a five-star review. So we're still figuring that out, but feel free to do those. You'll be entered if you do when we do the the, uh, the giveaway. So appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back end of the week, getting closer to the tournament. See you guys then.